doing good, giving back, paying forward. We all try and do these things when we can, support our communities, help our neighbors out when they're in need. And while many of us do a fine job, there are those out there who have dedicated their lives to these causes. From determined individuals to nonprofits to charities, there's a staggering amount of inspirational social entrepreneurs out there. Today, we talk with two people who are moving the needle, moving our world forward in a positive, vibrant way. I'm Jacob Carroza, and you're listening to Now at Ohio State. We talk with researchers, innovators, and bold thinkers who look at our world, see what the real challenges are, and create the solutions that people need now. Cosmetics, soaps, medications, our households are full of these things. But many of these products are tested on primates. When the testing is done, a primate needs a place to retire to, or they're tragically euthanized. Enter social entrepreneur Tessa Cannon. As an Ohio State PhD student in anthropology, she's founding For the Love of Primates, which is constructing a sanctuary for primates retired from laboratory research or rescued from the pet trade. She receives support from the President's Buckeye Accelerator Program at Ohio State. Tessa sits down with R. Ross Bischoff to talk about what her organization does, what social entrepreneurship means to her, and what she's learned from the Ohio State community. And just a quick note, some pretty intense animal treatment conditions are discussed in this interview. Tessa Cannon, thank you so much for doing this. First of all, just explain what For the Love of Primates is. So For the Love of Primates is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and our goal is to create and support a sanctuary for primates that are retired from laboratory research or were previously kept as pets. Uh, we also work to educate the public about conservation and animal welfare issues um, that primates face around the world, and we offer a lot of environmental education programming for kids. This is a bit of a taboo subject, isn't it? I mean, can you just yeah. kind of talk about the problem you're going at? Yeah, definitely. So. Primates are used for everything from understanding progressive diseases, developing new drugs, developing vaccines like the COVID-19 vaccine. And a lot of research laboratories will use primates but kind of keep it hush-hush because people don't really want to talk about it. They don't want to admit that it's something that is necessary for our medical system. Um, and it's probably not something that it's going to change in at least our lifetimes. So there's really a need for these animals to have some place to go. Currently, if there's no place for them to go, they're just euthanized. So our goal is to, to give them that home in retirement. There are currently over 100,000 primates that are housed in labs every year. And that number has been over 100,000 pretty steadily for uh, like 10, 12 years. There are also about 30 to 40,000 that are imported into the U.S. every year. So from that, we're kind of able to estimate that several tens of thousands are being euthanized every year as well. It's one thing to hear numbers, but it's another thing to see this up close. And you've actually seen this up close. Talk about what set you down this path. Like, why did you see this problem and, and want to do something about it? When I got my master's degree in primate conservation, I did my research with primates that had been retired um, or were previously kept as pets. And I worked at a sanctuary here in the U.S. to do my dissertation research. And part of my research was helping them create these programs that were 
individualized to each primate to kind of combat the abnormal behaviors that they have coming into the sanctuary. So any primate, no matter like what kind of compromised background they're coming from, whether it's research or them being kept privately as a pet, they're going to have some kind of abnormal behaviors just because they didn't grow up in the wild. They're not used to being kept in captivity. So my research was really about targeting these behaviors and rerouting them to be more typical for monkey species. And There was this one primate, her name was Jayla, and she really pulled up my heartstrings, so I always use her as an example when I'm talking about this. Um, So she was previously kept as a pet before she was confiscated. She was kept in a birdcage, so she was really small. She developed pica where she would just eat pretty much any non-food item that she could get her hands on. And when she got to the sanctuary, she was really tiny, even though she was done growing. She wouldn't interact with any humans. She wouldn't interact with any other monkeys. And after doing her enrichment program and really targeting it to her specific needs, she started interacting with us. She started making faces at the other primates in the sanctuary. Eventually, she was able to be introduced to those other primates, so she wasn't living alone anymore. So really seeing this transformation in her and understanding her as an individual, just... Yeah, just that was it for me. (laughs) Are there a lot of sanctuaries worldwide or in the United States? I mean, are there a lot out there? No. So there is only eight accredited solely primate sanctuaries in the U.S. So there's some that are like kind of just exotic animal sanctuaries that will take primates. But there's only eight that are accredited in the United States. And most of those are located in the southern states. Um, The closest one to us is in Wisconsin. It's called Primates Incorporated. They're very small and newly founded. They only house about 10 animals. But they're the only other accredited primate sanctuary that houses monkeys. All of the other sanctuaries house chimpanzees because they were the primary primate used in research for a really, really long time. But they're no longer used, so they're all being retired now. Um, So that's why our sanctuary is going to focus on monkeys specifically because that's where the biggest need still lies. Yeah, maybe I should have asked you that first. Define primates so that everyone (laughs) knows for sure what we're talking about. Yeah, so primates are um, monkeys and apes. So quick way that you can tell the difference is that monkeys have tails and apes don't have tails. So they're just our closest living relatives. So your goal is to be a pretty big sanctuary then if the closest one only houses 10. You guys are looking for way more than that, right? Yeah. So our first phase of construction is going to house anywhere from 80 to 100 primates. And that facility that we're building only takes up maybe a quarter to a third of our entire property. So we have plenty of room to expand. But I mean, even housing anywhere from 10 to 100 monkeys is a lot of work. So we're going to start on the small side, get our feet wet and just grow from there. And you have a site, right? We do. We just purchased a um, almost 60 acre property in Crooksville, Ohio, which is about an hour southeast of Columbus, kind of towards the Hawking Hills-ish area. We wanted somewhere that would be close enough to Columbus that students, researchers, whoever could come and visit. We're going to be doing like educational guided tours. We won't be open like a zoo or anything like that because these monkeys are not used to that. (laughs) So um, we'll do educational tours so people can come and learn and everything. But we're still far away enough from the big city that we have plenty of land. We're surrounded by lots of trees and it's a very peaceful environment. And so when did this vision for a sanctuary start with you? I mean, this is a pretty big undertaking. When did you say, hey, this is something I want to do. This is something I could do. 
So I started it around the same time as I started my PhD here at Ohio State. So I spent like maybe a year or two kind of just developing the idea, doing some initial fundraising and like kind of getting our name out there in the community. Then COVID hit. (laughs) So we kind of moved our presence online for a while and really focused on like building it internally, applying for some grants. But then after we applied for the President's Buckeye Accelerator, it really took off. I actually applied to the President's Buckeye Accelerator program pretty last minute. I just saw it in an email. And I'm really glad that I applied because it has been a huge turning point for us. It really taught us how to think like a business owner instead of thinking like a nonprofit. So that was a lot to wrap our minds around, but also incredibly helpful. What is it about this program that's really helped you? So before we did our final pitches, we were meeting every week and kind of just going over the different aspects of what makes a good business and what we need to be focusing on for our pitch. And then after we became finalists and moved on to become the first cohort, they would bring in specialists every week to talk to us about different subjects, anywhere from marketing to accounting to like pretty much anything that you can think of to help make a successful business networking. And it really helped me realize that our nonprofit needed it, it functions a lot like a regular business. They helped us craft this earned revenue model, which will really help make it so that we're not forced to rely on just donations alone. But I think that one of the biggest things besides them bringing in all of these experts to talk to us, which was exceedingly helpful, was just the networking that it created for us as well. Obviously, we were networking with our other cohort members that were in it because we were meeting every week. But it just being part of the Ohio State entrepreneurial community has opened so many doors. Like they've hooked us up with so much mentorship, even outside of the program. And even now that I'm done, they're still um, referring people to me, referring me to people that has been just as helpful as being in the program itself. What are your thoughts on just social entrepreneurship and, and going down this path? I think a lot of people think that social entrepreneurship is just having a business, but then giving back to the community in some way. But really it's when the social impact that you're having is ingrained and like woven into that business model. And I think that's where the real difference lies. I would encourage anybody that's interested in entrepreneurship just in general, especially at Ohio State as a student, to really consider keeping that social concept within their businesses. Um, I think that a lot of consumers are really starting to lean that way also. So people are more likely to support you if you're doing good and giving back to the community and and having that real social impact along with your business is a way to do that. You learned how to talk to businesses and kind of show you're trying to work with them, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to work with them to have the best outcome possible. Can you kind of talk about that and how maybe your your view of that has changed, like when you're working with a company, trying to show them, hey, this is important for you for a number of reasons. So our goal is to work collaboratively with research institutions, medical professionals, pharmaceutical companies, to be able to function kind of as animal welfare consultants for them. So not only will we be giving them a place to retire their animals, but also being able to come in and assess the welfare needs of their animals, being able to tailor enrichment plans to those animals. And it leads not only to the animals having better welfare, but it's also going to lead to more reliable research outcomes. Because the happier the animal, the less stressed they are, 
the more you'll be able to see the effects of your research coming through. So they're going to end up having better data as well. There's also been research that shows that when research techs or the animal care staff, um, laboratory technicians, then the researchers themselves all have a better workplace morale, emotional well-being, um, knowing that their animals are going to be retired. So all in all, it's a win-win for everybody. What is your vision? What would you love to see come from this? So it's my goal that we can function sort of like a replicable example for other sanctuaries or even take our organization and expand to more locations. The need for more sanctuaries is is really high. Um, so I know that when we're talking about this, I'm like, well, there's over 100,000 that need places to go. And we're talking about housing, what, 80 primates? So it doesn't seem like it's making a huge dent. But it's going to make a big difference for those 80 primates that we're retiring. And I think that if we are working together with these labs in a way that is sustainable and mutually beneficial, then we can kind of serve as that example for other sanctuaries to open up around the U.S. and make retirement a lot more accessible. Tessa, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love being able to talk about the organization. I appreciate it. It's amazing that something can start out as simply an idea, a calling, and like in Tessa's case, it can grow into an enterprise changing our world for the better. The entrepreneurial spirit is astounding, and no one knows this quite like Greg Pugh. Greg is an executive in residence at Ohio State's Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship, the hub for Ohio State's entrepreneurship community. He helps students and entrepreneurs evaluate their ideas through market vision, how they can excel and how they can ensure that their startup is a success. Greg sits down with Ross to talk about his history of enabling startups, the entrepreneurial culture at Ohio State, and how social entrepreneurship has changed over the years. Greg Pugh, thank you so much for doing this. I find it interesting when you think of entrepreneurship, business, your first thought may not be physics teacher, but tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you arrived to this point. Uh, yeah, so 1995 grad from The Ohio State University, a degree in physics education, started my career as a high school physics teacher coach. It was the dot-com boom, and it was actually my the very bright high school physics students bringing to me their, hey, check this out, online <laughs> stuff. Uh, so I started checking out myself, and I took a, uh, a summer job as a corporate software instructor. I totally planned on remaining a physics teacher, but then I got asked to, I started seeing the economics of deploying software, and I, I wanted in that side. So I was fortunate enough to be a part of five founding teams of software startups. I like to say I've had uh, two successes and three learning opportunities. After the last exit in 2010, I've dedicated the last uh, 13 years of my career to helping others. I really enjoy that spark, the creation of an idea, turning it into a organization that'll self-sustain in the future. So I really, if I can help students do that, I'm a happy guy. So that brings us to your current role as an executive in residence for the Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship here at Ohio State. Talk about what you do in that role. Ideally, I'm just I'm here to help student entrepreneurs. And uh, first thing I do is try to help them evaluate their own ideas. So I get asked all the time, is this a good idea or not? And I tell them, I'm not in the business of evaluating ideas, but I can share a process to help you evaluate your own idea. And that's all about uh, market validation. So 
do the factors exist that a organization can be formed, grow, thrive? And are you the person or can you put together a team to pull it off? So that's where it starts. After that, it's about facilitating the programs at Ohio State, which is all about creating leverages, bringing resources to bear, and I say helping them to achieve what their goals are. How do you maybe work with a team or an entrepreneur to get them where they want to go? I focus on the individual entrepreneur or the co-founding team and what their aspirations are, their vision. So it's a very personal thing. Are they... uh, why? What is their own personal why? What, what do they want the organization they want to create to look like five and 10 years from now? And to make sure that they uh, understand what they're doing from a personal standpoint. So then we switch to the, the economics of it. Does it make sense? Is there going to be enough gas for the engine that we're planning on building? Revenue in, if it's for profit, is there going to be enough money, uh, profit, for investors, if they participate, but if it's a nonprofit, are we going to have donors? Are we going to have constituents? Are there grants available that can be used to get an organization off the ground so that it ideally, whether it's for profit or not for profit, exists on its own years down the line? In, say, the last 10 years, how would you say the culture of entrepreneurship has evolved here at Ohio State? It's become a more concerted effort centralizing resources, which will create great leverage over time. And is, you can see it happening, you can feel it happening. So a decade ago, it was much more informal. There were students with ideas wanting to start companies and there were clubs, but there wasn't a central place where they could go in the university to get support. And I think with the President's Buckeye Accelerator and other accelerators that are being created now, we're starting to see a compounding effect of resources coming together, creating leverage. So it absolutely has. I'll give an example. 2012-13, there was this incredible group of students at Ohio State, about a dozen of them, that were really pushing the envelope on what could be done with apps. They uh, would have me speak at their clubs, and I would offer them some assistance, uh, but there was no structured program then to take them. And they all graduated and they all went to work out on the West Coast at the big name companies. I think now, if that same group of students here, they would be part of the Boss Competition, Boost Camp, President's Buckeye Accelerator. They would be getting grants and working to start their own companies right now while they were in school. So over the last decade, what's different? It's absolutely the concerted effort from Ohio State to provide resources to students to start companies. And what kind of a benefit or an impact does that have on this region, even this state? So we're in the second cohort of the President's Buckeye Accelerator. And over time, we create leverage. More organizations aware of what we're doing, wanting to participate, mentors emerging, which create shortcuts. We just had a uh, last week a, a great conversation with the folks over at Intel who are aware of what we're doing, and they have a program to support startups, providing resources. And over time, as more of those things come together, the ability to have impact, have impact quicker, have it be more significant, and potentially stay uh, in central Ohio, the probability of success and the probability of it staying close to home increases as that leverage builds upon itself year after year. And you've been working with entrepreneurs for a long time now. Does it seem like this 
whether it's the new generation, this up-and-coming generation, or students at Ohio State or students in general, does it seem like there's a very strong social aspect to what they want to do? Yeah, absolutely. That's where we've seen a great change and where a person like me, I, I told you I graduated in 95, so indication of my age there a little bit, the social responsibility aspect is much greater now than it used to be. 20 years ago, we may have seen asking that question as a hindrance, and now it is an absolute positive. Are we putting good into the world? Is there potential harm that we're doing to the world by bringing this solution to bear? This generation is much more mindful of it than a child of the 1980s like myself. I remember sitting in the crowd at the first cohort when they gave their pitches and, and they were selected the first time. You hear these visions. It's like, that sounds amazing. Wonder if it'll ever happen. And a month or so ago, Tessa purchased her land. Yeah. What was that like for you to see this start to come to fruition? That, that is awesome for me. And uh, I say this all the time that when they give the pitches, we can all see the vision of what you want to do. We can give a rousing speech and presentation of here's what it's going to look like five to 10 years from now. The hard work is the rolling up the sleeves and creating that execution path to get there. And that's a lot of what I work on and focus on is, okay, great. We've sold the big vision. We want to make it happen. How do we even set up a base camp? How do we get just up the first two or three steps up the mountain so that we can uh, build critical mass. So breaking down those financial components, the milestones, the resources needed to make the incremental steps. So again, for the love of primates, the, uh, the land, right? We can't build a primate sanctuary unless we have physical place to put it, and how the heck are we going to acquire that? So you know, before we uh, worry about the primates day to day, we've got a major milestone of acquiring land. And I know they work very hard to identify, solicit, figure out how uh, economically they could get that done and to see it come to fruition. It's just a major milestone crossed, which means now we can move on to the next milestone. I know you've worked with a lot of these groups. When you see the things start to really take hold, that's got to be incredible for you. Yeah, when I'm no longer needed and they can exist on their own and will flourish. And even uh, when the founder or co-founding team is no longer needed, that's when it gets really exciting. Well, you've created something. And I, I liken starting a business to raising kids to where the pride you feel when they no longer need you. Yeah, it's a little sad, but if you've done it right, you know that they are more than capable and they're going to exist and continue to put good into the world you know, long after you're gone. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up because it is a great sense of pride and accomplishment. But the whole time, it's, it's them. They had to do it. I mean, we have my role in XIR, I can guide, but uh, you know, I, I do very little to actually make it happen. They just, a lot of what I do is just try to be inspirational for them because it's, a, in most cases, a lot harder than they thought it was gonna be. All right, Greg, thank you so much for doing this today absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. All it takes is one spark, one idea, and then a supportive entrepreneurial community can turn it into a vibrant, world-changing reality. What a symbiotic relationship, the world of startup dreamers and encouraging mentors, working hand-in-hand -hand to change things for the better. From primate rescue to 3D printing to the next big thing that hasn't even been thought of yet, 
social entrepreneurship is driving us forward. And I can't wait to see where it takes us next. Now at Ohio State is produced by the Ohio State University's Office of Marketing and Communications. For more information, visit us at go.osu.edu slash now. I'm your host, Jacob Carosa. Thanks for listening.